This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. This is the American Toffee Podcast, your source for stateside views on Everton Football Club. Hosted by Alex Johnson and James Boyman. Hello there, everybody. Welcome back to the American Toffee Podcast after an, a bit of an extended hiatus. James here, joined by Alex. What's up? If you are new to the show because of, I guess, the waves we've been making on social media over the last week, be sure to go and join our Discord before you do anything else. Pause the show. It's invite.gg ATP. Come in and join our, our community of toffees that, uh, so you can come and talk with us and... Uh, Tell us what you think about the show and all that good stuff and and talk toffees anytime you want. Um, Beyond that, for today's show, we're going to do a recap of our trip so far. We've been in England for just over a week. And then we're going to talk some new contracts, Mason Holgate's new contract, potentially rumored uh, contract for Dominic Calvert-Lewin as well, and comments made by Carlo Ancelotti today regarding Leighton Baines. After that, we are going to preview the Chelsea match at Stamford Bridge on Sunday, which we will then... Uh, you and I will be at, right, Alex? Yes, which is super exciting. And lastly, uh, we have a exclusive interview with Graham Stewart at the end. All of this stuff will be timestamped in the description if you'd like to skip around. Um, but otherwise, let's get into it. Yeah, do stick around for the Graham Stewart interview. It was really cool to talk with him at Finch Farm. Some really insightful and interesting stuff uh, from him. So do stick around for the end to listen to that. But let's get started, Alex. So... Last Wednesday, you and I both drove to our respective airports while I took a bus to Boston. You drove to the D.C. airport, took off at 6 p.m.-ish, landed in Dublin, Ireland at around 5 a.m., where we met in person for the first time. Both super glad to see each other at that early hour, yeah? Yeah, I mean, it was a, it was a long journey. It was, uh, I mean, as we've talked about before you know it's very hard to explain to family and friends that you're going to meet someone in person for the first time on a a European trip for two weeks but I don't think either one of us had any reservations about it Um, so it was it has been very exciting so far Um, and so we were in Dublin at first for only a couple days and we ended up going to see uh, Shamrock Rovers versus Dundalk in which uh, the guy for Dundalk scored the ridiculous uh, borderline overhead goal while somehow keeping his uh, plant foot planted, which was a super exciting match. And it was cool to see um, two of the biggest clubs in Ireland kind of square off and see the the ultras singing and, and, and the away support for Dundalk as well. Yeah, a really cool atmosphere. The, the stadium um, seats around 8,000 people. It was packed to the brim. And though it's not obviously the highest quality football you could hope to see in, on the continent, it was an exciting game back and forth the entire time, and it ended 3-2 to the home side. The Rovers pull it out in the end, really in, in the pouring rain as well. An amazing atmosphere, a very cool experience, and a really good way to sort of dip our toes in the water of European football, uh, experiencing it firsthand. Yeah, I mean, you know, we, we wherever we go, we'd like to catch a football match because there's probably nothing more enjoyable for a two-hour span. So it was nice and easy to get to. It was really cool to see the fans, um, and it was it was cool to be a part of it as well. And it was a nice warm up for our trip to Liverpool. Yeah, and so 
Rover's match ended, let's see, kickoff was what, 7, 8 p.m., ended around 10. We then go back into the city, grab a pizza, go to bed, wake up at 3.30 a.m. so that we can make it to the Dublin airport for our 6.30 flight to the Manchester airport, where we then immediately departed because F Manchester, as so to speak. We, we then immediately departed, got on the train to Liverpool. Uh, we had to get there really quickly because we were in a hurry, Alex, because we had a, a very special appointment around 2 p.m. We had places to be. Yeah, we only had a couple of hours by the time we got to Liverpool, so we took a quick nap. And then we ended up um, being lucky enough due to uh, the fan engagement group at the club to go on the Legends Tour of Goodison Park, which was very cool. So that was, that was uh, hosted by former Everton captain center back Mark Higgins. There was also uh, Big Nev there as well. And then Ian Snowden was also right. there as the third legend. So we didn't know. We knew that uh, Snods and Higgins, Mark Higgins, were going to be there. No idea about Big Nev. We walk into the reception area uh, to, for the tour to start, and Mark Higgins shakes our hand, introduces himself, and he says, do you know who's here today? And we said, no, who? He says, Big Nev. We said, oh, my God. What unbelievable luck on our part incredible and so we had uh l our tour guide lead us around with mark throughout the stadium we saw the ins and outs we saw the the premium suites the dining areas the changing rooms and then of course we walked out the tunnel and they played uh, zed cars for us as we walked through the tunnel and saw goodison park in all its glory for the very first time yeah it was super cool and you know uh, as you said it was very ironic because that was Saturday, and as we know, we played Manchester United on Sunday. And, you know, Elle was showing us the seats, and she said, okay, so, you know, you'll see that these are all labeled. Uh, here's where Farhad Moshiri will sit. Here's where Mar- Marcel Brands will sit. You will notice right here that this chair is not labeled. And that is not labeled because that is reserved for the manager in case he ever gets red carded off the pitch. Luckily, that's never happened before uh, to any club, so... We've, you know, oh, usually oh, oh. Bill Kenwright may sit there or whatever else. And next thing you know, um, we go to the match the next day. Um, and as I think most people will know, Carlo Ancelotti got a, ended up getting a red card. It didn't end up being a big deal, you know. Obviously, we're not yeah. going to be at home. But nonetheless, it was, it was quite funny for that to happen on the Legends Tour the, the day before the match. Yeah, and so then when the Legends Tour finished, we had like a Q&A um, with the Legends. There were probably about 30 people on the tour with us. We were... Definitely the only Americans there. Everyone, I think, kind of got a kick out of that. But it was really interesting to listen to the three of them talk about their playing days and Big Nev being the outspoken character that he is gave his takes on some of the current squad. I don't know. We didn't sign any NDA, but he did have some really insightful, being the great goalkeeper he was, had some really insightful comments about Jordan Pickford. And who knows, maybe the two can uh, chat sometime in the near future given the events uh, the miss save by Jordan Pickford on Saturday. But before we get into talking about the Manchester United match specifically, we did want to run through our entire match day experience because it is an experience, a true, authentic. I mean, for the first time, it was amazing. So we got to the to the ground area around 10 a.m. and 10.30, I guess. We actually overslept a little bit. Um, so we had to be in a bit of a rush, grab McDonald's on the way up, the authentic British cuisine known uh, as that McDonald's is known for. But we grab McDonald's, then we go up and we go to St. Luke's Church, which I'm sure most of you know is actually attached to the ground, uh, Goodison Park. And we went upstairs, and uh, the Everton Heritage Society has uh, a bunch of, of setups up there. They have a bunch of old match day programs. They have a bunch of old kits, posters, everything you can imagine. And, of course, another coincidence, 
in a trip that's been full of them. Um, the day that we the that of the Manchester United match was the anniversary of Dixie Dean's passing, of course, the greatest Everton legend there ever was. And so there was, of course, a lot of photographs and things commemorating his unbelievable life and career. Yeah, it was very cool. I mean, you know, American fans, at least for us, generally speaking, our fandom doesn't span nearly as far back um, towards even, let's say, Everton's greatest periods or latest and greatest periods, right? The 80s and then the the, the last trophy won in, in 95 in the FA Cup. So it's very cool to go and see the Heritage Society and, and see all the different, um, the past kits, right? As you said, the posters, uh, it has some nice stats posted up in there too for, you know, players like Dixie Dean. And so it was very, very cool. Uh, everyone says that it's a must, it's a must see. And I think we'd both agree with that. Absolutely. And so we popped in the church and then we had an appointment. We had a special appointment with the fan engagement team shout out christine Pryor. we've we can't thank her enough i know we've probably thanked her about six dozen times by now but truly can't thank her enough originally the plan had been she had said hey would you like to do a pitch side interview with our content team they'd love to chat with you about your match day experience first time at goodison and we said uh you think we'd love to and so we were there we were with the content team we were chatting about how the podcast came to be yada 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 you guys all know the story at this point but most people don't So we're talking to them, and next thing you know, we feel a a tap on our shoulder, and you guys have probably seen this moment as it happened at this point, but we turn around, and guess who it is? It is none other than Tim Howard, right? The reason why um, I at least follow Everton, I know a big big reason for for your Everton fandom, at least, once you started getting um, even more serious about it, and it was... was, it was very surreal. Um, as, as a bit of an insight, I know everyone has been praising me for not cussing on camera. However, I did. Um, and coincidentally, we ended up meeting uh, the social media manager, and, and he, uh, he looked at me and said, I'm glad we could edit that out. And I said, yeah, me too, because I, I surely didn't mean to. But I just – I was kind of hey, blown. In, in those moments, it's, an, it's, as, it's as an authentic reaction as you could possibly get because – a little bit of backstory to it, because while we were doing the Legend Store the previous day, we knew that Tim Howard had been scheduled to be down at Everton 2, which is in Liverpool 1 in the uh, city center, the big mall there. And so we were, were hoping we'd be able to sneak away from the Legends Tour in time to meet him. We knew it wasn't going to happen. Christine, being very sneaky, had told us that maybe we could make something happen later in the week. And so we were kind of hoping, okay, maybe Wednesday, Thursday, we can make something happen. Lo and behold, match day comes. It's Tim Howard tapping us on our shoulder. A dream come true on top of a day that was filled with them. Yes. And, and so before we actually headed out of, of Goodison Park um, to kind of complete our festivities prior to the match, uh, we also wanted to give a shout out to Everton Designs, Paul McAllister, and Phil Johnston. All three of them helped us um, essentially create a banner uh, to hang at Goodison Park and then Phil being a, a steward hung it for us and so it was right behind the goal um right behind david de gea which subsequently ended up getting a decent amount of 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 camera time based on (laughs) his based on his error in like the third minute and so you know huge shout out to them we really look forward to looking out for our uh banner in the park and essentially every single home match on tv so that was exciting too but next stop right we leave we did our interview we met tim howard we got our banner hung up and then Obviously, we had to stop in the famous 
Winslow Hotel, which is uh, an Everton pub essentially 20 feet away from Goodison Park. Uh, everyone and their brother goes to the Winslow, and we were shown uh, very generous hospitality by the owner and the manager to essentially just take it all in. And, you know, it, it was it was an amazing experience at the Winslow because of the fact that you really don't get that sort of vibe and that sort of togetherness in any sort of sports bar themed or not themed in the United States. Yeah, the Winslow was amazing. We met up with Joe O'Reilly of the Irish Toffees, who had actually showed us around Dublin a few days prior, met his family, chatted with them, talked with a bunch of different blues from all over about the match, about Goodison, about their experiences, about our experience. It was a very nice way. And of course, we had a couple pints while we were there. You have to do it on match day. But we were, it, it was very cool to just be amongst that many Evertonians at once. It was very surreal. And that was all before the match even kicked off. And so we then head into the match. We go in, and our seats are in the main stand. We were literally probably, what, five rows from the back of the main stand from the top? Yeah, if that. So the the beams are real. However, yeah. luckily for us, I mean, we were far enough back in which they didn't really obstruct our view yeah. too much. Um, it was it was a very interesting viewing experience, other than the fact that, you know, we were watching Everton in person for the first time. Due to the fact that we were so high up, we actually couldn't see the screens. So we couldn't see uh, the minute in which uh, the match was. Uh, so that was that was extremely interesting because, you know, you essentially just had to check your your watch the whole time to, to see how, how close we were getting. And then naturally towards the end, um, some fans started leaving, which signaled that it was close to the end. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And of course we got all the drama we could have possibly asked for and more, although we weren't able to secure, of course, the three points as we were cruelly robbed by VAR. We've of course talked about it on some of the other shows you guys may have caught us on this week, but a fitting and yet somehow still unbelievably devastating way to to end our first match at Goodison. Yeah, I mean, let's let's be clear, right? We both celebrated as if we were we we did win. Um, it's to the point where I grabbed his jacket, like jumping up and down, and ripped one of his pins off. Luckily, yeah. it was it was pinned like in his inner pocket, so he still had the back. But uh, we went. Have, that's the one that I lost like three days later, anyway. So <laughs> yeah. that's karma, but whatever. So so anyway, you know, moving past the match, it was a really fantastic experience. And it was super super exciting to see. We then went to the Blue Base, which is uh, actually part of EITC. Yeah, so it's a center uh, for Everton in the community. They there were a ton of people in there. We went in. Um, they have a bar which they sell drinks, of course, and those all the proceeds from that bar go to Everton in the community. We were able to finally meet Tony Sampson, who, of course, our loyal listeners will know, um, came on the show a few times and is now recently finally elected to the fans forum. We also met Dave from the County Road Bobblers. We met John Blaine, chair of the uh, Everton FC Shareholders Association. We met a lot of different people, had some really, really cool conversations, but I think maybe the highlight of that day of the time at the blue base was meeting tony's dad who is 87 years old i believe he has been going to see everton fc play since he was 14 years old he now has parkinson's but he still goes to the match whenever he can and just speaking with him and getting just a read on how true and authentic his love for the club is was a really amazing experience again the, the on a day filled with them i think that's a moment that really sticks out for me yeah, it was it was very nice to meet him, and he was, you know, I ended up just kind of blabbering on about 
how much I enjoyed my day and my experience, but I think that, you know, he enjoyed, you know, hearing it as well. And we got a nice picture with him as well. So it was, it was very cool. And, and the blue bass was a whole lot of fun. Yeah. And we met uh, Pat Vandenhow, who, for those of you who are long-term blues, or if you've seen the film Howard's Way, will know, uh, <laughs> kindly nicknamed Psycho Pat in the 1980s, but a super nice guy as well. We got a picture with him. So that was a nice way to cap off the day before we headed back to our Airbnb, which was in an interesting part of the city, I'll say. Yeah, that that's for sure. <clears throat> so throughout the week, essentially after the uh, Manchester United match, if you have not already seen, we ended up featuring on everything. Yeah, literally. What actually, we feature on? Yeah, pretty much, pretty much uh, everything. So we, we featured on the Royal Blue podcast first um, with Adam Jones and david prentice which is you know under the liverpool echo which was super exciting so if you haven't checked that out uh, we then featured on the blue room with mark mosey and matt jones and that was all the way up in radio city which is a very cool experience yeah radio city tower was very very cool it looks a bit like the space needle i guess you might compare it to yeah the general shape of it it's a a really thin tower with you know the studios are way at the top we take the elevator up we sit down in a legitimate recording studio for once. Like, for, for for instance, right now we're sitting in London in an, in a living room of our Airbnb just chatting. But to sit in a legit recording studio and chat with Matt and Mark was very, very cool. Especially for me because, you know, before I joined Alex on the pod, I had listened to the Blue Room for years. So to meet those guys in person, to chat with them about Everton was just, again, very surreal and super cool. And really, really nice guys also. Right. So... We then lastly ended up um, featuring on Toffee TV yeah. with Baz. I'm sure uh, quite a few of you know Baz. And so that was a very enjoyable moment as well. And we ended up having, we ended up needing to catch a ride with John Blaine. He was nice enough to give us a ride all the way to, well, I say all the way. It was about like 10 minutes, but nice <laughs> enough to give us a ride to Finch Farm for our, for our appointment for our tour of Finch Farm, which was extremely cool. Uh, and then we subsequently ended up doing our, our interview with Graham Stewart at Finch Farm. Yeah, Finch Farm, unbelievable facility. To just walk through it, we saw everything from the U9 changing room to the senior team uh, cafeteria to all the pitches that are outside, the uh, head tennis courts that they have set up. It's a really impressive facility. And again, they're constantly making improvements to it. I think that it rivals any club in the world as far as I'm concerned. It was it was very, very impressive and we know that the, the players are in good hands. What really impressed me most was like the medical facilities that they have there. They're basically equipped to do anything you could possibly need bar like invasive surgery at Finch Farm. So the players are able to receive treatment at Finch Farm and do all those things. And behind the scenes a little bit, as we're signing into Finch Farm, getting our, our visitor passes and stuff, guess who walks in the door? He tried to walk in the door. He's yeah. on crutches. Crutched in the door. Yeah, so so we're, we're sitting there. Well, James is signing in first, and I hear, you know, somewhat of a familiar voice, behind, like, directly behind me. And so I turn around, and it's not other, none other than Jank Tosin on crutches. And I'm sitting here trying to be somewhat discreet because, like I said, he's, like, three feet away from me. I'm, like, <laughs> elbowing James, and I'm, like, yo, yo, yo. And he's, like, what? <laughs> and he looks over, and I'm, like, Jank Tosin. You know, because we had to play it cool naturally. We didn't. We didn't ask for a picture of the of the fella. He didn't. Yeah. He didn't. He didn't look um, very happy to not 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 happy to be there. But he didn't look happy at all with the fact that he sustained the in- injury, and and that obviously means that a he's 
uh, back to Everton for the rest of the season will be paying his wages. But B, um, you, you can probably assume that he also won't be involved in Euro 2020, which is a negative for him and Everton as well. So hopefully um, a speedy recovery to him because he's nothing but a fantastic person. Yeah, uh, of course. And it, it is you know frustrating from a business perspective. And as fans of the club, it's, it's unfortunate that we're now having to pay his wages and all of those things. But the human element of it, I mean, he's 28 years old. He's just torn his ACL. He has a long, long rehab ahead of him. It looked like things were maybe starting to finally click for him while at Crystal Palace. And he, of course, would have been a shoe-in for the Turkish team in the Euros. So at that moment in his career, you question whether he'll get another chance at a tournament like that. So really, really, uh, it's a tough thing to take for him. So we, we, I mean, I glanced at him. I didn't even really want to like talk to him or look at him because I just feel, I feel really bad for him. And I know that he has a long road ahead of him. So best wishes to Cenk. But at the same time, I mean, we didn't see any other players, so it's worth mentioning that we did see him. Yeah, absolutely. So now, as you mentioned, we're in London, and the uh, whole premise of being in London is to go see Chelsea away Yeah, Stanford at Stamford Bridge. Bridge. Um, but before we dive into that, let's talk about, uh, firstly, Holgate's new five-year contract. So what does that mean to you in terms of, you know, how important is it? How, how impressed have you been um, with Mason Holgate over the last couple of months? And, and what do you see for the future? I think it's a tremendous, A, for the club, B, for Mason Holgate, because I think the stage is set for him to be a nailed-on starter for us for basically the length of this contract, barring any transfer moves or anything like that. There were legitimate concerns about him coming into this season, him and a lot of other our other young players, Dominic Calvert-Lewin being the other one. And to both of their credit, they have done everything that we could have possibly asked from them and more this year. Mason Holgate, arguably now probably our first choice center back. He has been incredible. His combination, you know, the fact that he can play as a right back and a center back, you'd, you'd imagine he has the pace. He has the strength. He has the on-ball awareness. He has the confidence, most importantly, I think, given the, the way that things have been going for us, the ups and downs that we've gone through so far this campaign. But it's, it's entirely deserved a five-year deal for the 23-year-old. He looks, I think, it's entirely deserved. And I am over the moon because, again, coming into this season, our center back was really probably our biggest area of concern besides perhaps midfield. So to have him locked down for the next five years through essentially what will, will then put him in the prime of his career at 28, I'm very excited for what he can accomplish. Right, and another thing that Ancelotti mentioned, and the other analysts um, on mainstream sources have mentioned too, is Mason Holgate's ability to play the ball out from the back, line-splitting passes. You actually saw it during the Manchester United match. It was very interesting how close he would line up to Jordan Pickford uh, when we were, you know, when Jordan Pickford had the ball and we were going to put the ball back into play uh, from the very back. And so that is another positive. I think Mason Holgate can only get better. He's 23 years old, I believe, currently, and so he's got. Um, essentially many, many more years to learn and, and perfect his trade. And as you said, I mean, at, at least in current form, he is, he has to be our number one center back. And so it's well-deserved and it's very exciting. Now there's, as of today, actually, I believe there are rumors that Dominic Calvert-Lewin should be following in his footsteps pretty uh, closely in terms of, a, of an extended contract as well. Yeah, I think both of them are, no-brainers for Everton to sign on a long-term basis. Again, just starting to get their feet under them as far as sustained success at the Premier League level. Of course, Mason Holgate having been on loan last season, he's coming in and he's really lit it up 
at center back and Dominic Calvert-Lewin, of course, now on what, 13 goals? If you, <laughs> if you can even really, do you count the one against Manchester United? I know it was a very fortunate deflection off of him, but again, he does a good job to close down. And again, two of our most important young players, and we, and we can't reiterate this enough, how important it is that Everton commit to this model of developing young players and then using that because of course with the financial fair play constraints we're just not going to be able to to bring in the big signings based on the wage structures that we currently have so to give these young players the opportunity that they've been given this season for them to take advantage of it and for them the club to reward them i think speaks volumes about the direction the club's headed i think they're they're again fantastic examples for the future for other players who then want to uh, do the same thing you can say hey we'll give you the platform it's up to you to seize the opportunity and if you do you'll be rewarded and i think that creates a foundation for to, to build long-term success for the club yes very well said and and just a side note on that right the reason why you can say uh, papa moshiri has all the money in the world <laughs> he can spend what he wants the, the reason why that we're in this the, in this kind of predicament with financial fair play is because of all the money that we've quote-unquote um, wasted in the last couple of years, right? So that is the biggest issue. And so, so that, you know, that just as a piece of background information. So lastly, very interesting comments came out today from Ancelotti about Leighton Baines. And he essentially, well, he very directly said that he hopes that Leighton Baines would sign another year contract. What makes it even more interesting is the fact that um, I don't think you usually see those comments from a manager. Um, as we've talked about, right? You feel like, it's got to be probably pretty close to nailed down if he's going to come out to the media, specifically reported straight from Everton, right? This wasn't with a reporter. Right. This is from Everton, uh, EvertonFC.com, saying that he wants to tie him down for a year. But but if we look back to last year when he got his one-year extension, it took him, rumored, uh, three to four weeks to make a full decision whether that was you know in the details or if that was just him kind of deciding, do I want to continue playing or not? And so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah, Ancelotti not beating around the bush in any way, shape, or form. He said, I would like Leighton to stay another year. We the, we as a club want him to stay. We hope that we can get into contract talks and finalize a deal. The fact that he speaks so directly about it makes me think that they're probably a bit further along into those talks than maybe he alluded to specifically in those comments. But again, it makes perfect sense. He's played the last two matches. He hasn't looked a day over 27. You know, he's been fantastic and you can tell that just his his tactical acumen makes up for any shortcomings that may have come about due to his you know aging it happens to everyone it happens to every great footballer but he makes up for it with his just first of all technical ability and secondly just football acumen is out off the charts arguably the best english left back in the premier league era and frankly given the the performances he's put in for us this season of course the screamer wonder goal at Leicester that was, oh, Alex, it was off or not in the end, but it was an, an incredible moment in our season nonetheless. And, and he's looked good in every match that he's played. And I think that this role really suits him given his current age because, no, he probably couldn't do it week in, week out the way that maybe like Luca Dean can get at, at Luca Dean's age, right? Right. He's like, you know, Luca Dean is, is what, I think 26 now, but yeah. See, I don't think many people need convincing that we should get Leighton Bain on Leighton Baines on another year. But if you need a, a, another push, right? Based on the financial fair play talk that we kind of just briefly talked uh, mentioned, Leighton Baines is our very clear backup left back. 
If Leighton Baines is willing to sign another uh, year extension, that buys us some more time to find uh, another backup left back, right? Luka Dean is definitely our nailed-on starter. With that, with our financial fair play restrictions and the fact that we know, we very much know that we, we need a center back, we need a right winger, we, we need a central midfielder, we know that left back, a backup left back at that is not our priority. We also know that the market is never cheap now, and so every single dollar or pound counts. Therefore, it's it's within everybody's best interest that he does extend for another year. So with that, why don't we hop in to the Chelsea preview. Everton is traveling away to Stamford Bridge this Sunday, and it should be pretty exciting. Yeah, and we'll be there to meet him. For the first time, our first away match will be in the away end. Shout out to Dave for hooking us up with the away end tickets. It's going to be very cool. And Chelsea are in very good form right now. I mean, of course, I believe they sit in fourth place right now on the table. They beat Liverpool 2-0, of course, in the FA Cup on Tuesday night. We were sitting uh, with Matt and Patty Boylan from The Athletic. So Matt Jones from Blue Room and Patty, Patty from The Athletic in a pub watching the match with probably everyone else in that pub was a red i'd imagine yeah at least that's what they told us and so uh, i know that um i might have cheered a little <laughs> bit much when ross barkley scored dude but... when ross barkley scored you <laughs> like put your arms up and you were like oh and i was like dude no 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 don't go doing that or you're gonna get some dirty looks and maybe worse if you're not careful but of course they did look very good in that match and uh, i mean liverpool looked poor let's be real but the standout of the match for that for that game was definitely the 18-year-old wonder kid, Billy Gilmore, who, I don't know if that was his debut or not, but he, he literally got the man of the match, and he commanded, um, it looked well beyond 18 years old, in my opinion. I thought he was great throughout. I mean, he didn't catch the whole match, but from what I saw, he looked great. And Chelsea, in the second half especially, dominated them. Yeah, they dominated him. Billy Gilmore, so, th- so that wasn't his, um, that was not his debut, however, he did a lot of fantastic work um, on offense and defense as as pretty much a, a, a pure box-to-box midfielder. The composure that he showed, um, not that we should be fawning on and on about a Chelsea player, but it's important to note because of the fact that we very well could see him um, coming up this Sunday due to their just extensive injury list. It's a ridiculous injury list. Um, let's look at it right now. You've got Conte out Callum Hudson, Odoi also out. Christian Pulisic, fortunately and unfortunately for us, I mean, it would have been cool to see him play sure. live, but like, do you really want to worry about Christian Pulisic down the flank the whole match? I certainly don't. Tammy Abraham also out. Kovacic, William, both doubts. Jorginho is suspended as he picked up his 10th yellow card versus Bournemouth last week. And Ruben Loftus-Cheek, also still going through rehab, he actually played against uh, the Everton U23s the other day. So he's still not quite fit. And you notice that, what, five, four of those, five of those are midfielders. And so that by virtue of that, that's really what forced Frank Lampard to choose Billy Gil- Gilmore. So Billy Gilmore really bailing out the, the Chelsea side by being, being capable and being able to play at the level that he, he showed. Right, so so it's important to note that while they did get a victory in the FA Cup against Liverpool, it was on Tuesday, um, and that means, based on their injury list, that they're going to be using a lot of the same players, specifically in central midfield. It's a very real possibility that Barkley and or Gilmore, maybe, probably both will at least feature in some capacity, could start. Uh, both had pretty good games, obviously. Again, Ross Barkley scored. So 
it's going to be interesting to see how Chelsea line up. We know that in their match against Liverpool, and this is really important to note, Liverpool uh, sets up in a very narrow shape, and Chelsea did a really, really good job of exploiting the wide areas with both fullbacks and wingers. Essentially, they had really nobody in the center of the pitch in the attacking third, right? And so with that, we know that Everton has been setting up in, in a 4-4-2, specifically against Manchester United. We played very, very narrow as well. We know Ancelotti says that he prefers a 4-4-2 because it is, quote-unquote, the best defensive formation. And so we are away at Stamford Bridge. It makes sense that, obviously, we'll stick to the 4-4-2. Yeah. It's been working for us. But that means that I imagine Chelsea will probably go with the same game plan regardless of formation or personnel. Yeah, and we'll probably see, you know, of course, Kurt Zuma will likely play for them. Ross Barkley will likely play for them. And it will be very interesting. They'll, they'll probably have Mason Mount in there as well. They're going to be a tough side to break down, even with all their injuries. And it is worth noting that this is our longest active away losing streak as a club. I believe it was either 95 or 96 was the last time we beat them away. So not, uh, not the best precedent set, but I guess – us being over here, we've brought some pretty good luck, so maybe maybe we can turn the tides. I do think that Chelsea are very beatable, but it's not going to be easy. Fortunately, we were, and how fortunate this is is up for debate, but Lucas Dean was announced uh, today that he should be fit for the match. Do you bring him right back in over Leighton Baines, Alex? It's a tough one because Leighton Baines has played, as you said, I mean, he, he played very close to flawlessly against Manchester United. And, um, and against a guy like Juan Basaka too, right? Like on matching up him, bursting down the flanks, a young player, that's not an easy task. So it's all the more impressive. Right. And, and he, he just makes it look so easy. But the, the I mean, they, they both have really great left, left foots. The, the main difference is the mobility that Lucas Dean offers as opposed to Leighton Baines. And and we know that we have we've had some problems in recent times with simply just bringing energy into a match, right? Um, Carlo Ancelotti mentioned that he wanted a central midfielder in the summer window to bring more energy into the side. And so with that, I personally think that we do need to bring in Lucas Dean right back into the side simply for his mobility. But uh, with that, we know that Seamus Coleman came off uh, injured in the Man U match. So that means that Sidibe, who, in my opinion, had a really awful match yeah, against Manchester United, is going to be playing on the right-hand side. Um, do we think that Holgate and Michael Keane will keep their starting places at center back? Or do you think Yuri Mina could come in for Keane? Mason Holgate nailed on. I think it's probably a coin toss. I don't think Michael Keane put a foot wrong against United. So He did not. It wouldn't surprise me to see him retain his place. In the same token, I think Yeri Mina maybe gives us a bit more threat on offensively on set pieces and maybe defensively defending them. So it's a coin flip. Personally, I think I'd go with Yeri Mina. I just I just prefer him over Keane. Keane just scares me in ways when he's on the ball that Yeri Mina doesn't. He's a bit better um, with the ball at his feet and in the air. So for me, it's Yeri Mina. Um, midfield, a lot of questions to be asked there. I was very perplexed to see the Gilfie Sigurdsson decision against United putting him in on the left but then it was really kind of like more central it was bizarre but it just seems to be another case of a manager having to somehow some way shoehorn Gilfie Sigurdsson into an Everton side whether he truly belongs there or not yeah you know so we know we're going to play 4-4-2 I think I agree with you completely on the back line and I don't think anyone can argue that our, our two strikers are going to be Dominic Calvert-Luna or Charleston the most important piece 
of this match is going to be the midfield, the two central and the two wide players. Again, we talked about the fact that Chelsea are most likely going to look to exploit our wide areas. Sigurdsson, his legs are gone. He could not keep up with his defensive duties against Manchester United, even though they played pretty centrally as opposed to wide. And and I don't know I don't know one fan that would tell you they like the idea of Gilfie Sigurdsson quote unquote playing on the left. I don't think he needs to be in the starting eleven at all, to be honest. And I also think being away, knowing that we're not going to have the majority of possession, I think that you need to have a central midfield of Fabian Delph and Andre Gomez. We need a little bit of a little bit of bite, a little bit of energy, the leadership that Delph brings, the bite in the tackle that he brings. Right, he's usually uh, pretty good about retaining possession and also redistributing possession. It's not fancy, but that's why we have the man himself, Andre Gomez, right next to him to kind of give us a little bit more, uh, a little bit more passing range and creativity in the center of the pitch. Yeah, I think a guy, I think a guy like Tom Davis might get a bit found out in a match like this, where he is going to have to do a lot of work off the ball and, and his distribution actually for I thought Tom's distribution on on Sunday was pretty good he was a little too safe at sometimes for my liking but by and large I thought it was a good performance it'd be maybe a bit harsh to drop him but given the context of the match and how important this match is for our hopes at we're still clutching at the hope of Europe and I think if we don't get all three points here it's pretty much a done deal maybe we could sneak into a Europa place, but it's going to get all the more difficult. So I think Delph alongside Gomez would be a good partnership. They give us just enough of that defensive resilience, but also Delph doesn't mind carrying the ball forward. He looks even sometimes more comfortable as a true central mid than he does sitting a bit deeper, like he's become accustomed to by, by just circumstance as this the way that our midfield has just been devoid you know, with injuries and all the things that have happened. I think him and, and Gomez have also shown prior earlier in this season that they have a fairly decent understanding and they have a good partnership. So I think that that makes sense. And then, I don't know, so do you put in bring in Bernard and then Walcott on either side? Uh, I have questions about Bernard's defensive work, not his work rate, but just the, the physicality obviously is non-existent with him. So is he going to be able to match up with, say, marking a run of like a Mason Mount or a Ross Barkley? Or even, you know, a... a, a Aspilicueta making runs wide down the down the flank. Yeah, I mean, I think Bernard needs to come back in. I was dumbfounded that he didn't start against Manchester United, but I do understand we played, you know, a more narrow formation, and so Sigurdsson really was tucked in. But the thing is, if we have Lucas Dean coming in, him and Bernard have a really great understanding on the left-hand side. Furthermore, if you haven't seen them, Bernard's creativity stats are through the roof, right? Like what he is third third highest chances created per 90 of any player in the prem i think something like that so so it is you know it is very important that we have someone that can unlock the defense uh, for chelsea and and mind you even if it's just for his pace and dribbling ability alone because let's not be confused we're going to have to absorb a lot of pressure and hit on the counter and he offers a lot of a lot of i think pace on the counter obviously but i think uh, good amount of intelligence too and and him and Richarlison like playing with each other mm-hmm. Richarlison generally speaking sets up um, probably on the on the left hand side of the forwards and so it makes sense but in my opinion the biggest question mark is the right hand side I was advocating for Theo Walcott a couple weeks ago I was explaining that you know he offers a lot more defensive stability especially when Sidibe is playing right back and I think that's very much needed and I think it's still going to be needed however in my opinion he had a, a pretty awful game against United Although he, we, he was very poor against United, but we also don't, you know, we don't have a whole lot of options either, especially on the right hand side. And so, if I, 
I think if I were a betting man, I'd say it should be Bernard and Walcott because, you know, Walcott is still a very experienced professional. He's got a lot of games under his belt, and you would expect that just because he has a bad performance one week doesn't mean that he should necessarily have a terrible performance the next. I think if Walcott has a remotely serviceable game, then you have to just take that and run with it and be happy with it. Again, his days are numbered in an Everton shirt. We're going to be looking very heavily at a replacement right side player in the summer so he's got the next couple games few games to really prove himself if he even belongs in the squad at all if he's you know are we going to sell him entirely i don't know we we are so thin on that right hand side so i do think he'll start and i fully expect to be incredibly frustrated for most of the 90 minutes with him but it's just the way things go it's just the nature of the way the squad is set up at the moment we don't really have any other options and so as you said, Alex, Richarlison and Calvert-Lewin can't seem to stop scoring at the minute, so they're nailed on as our two strikers. So I guess that kind of wraps up our lineup prediction. So shall we do score predictions? Yeah. So I'm going to have to be optimistic. As you said— No, you're going to jinx it. No, maybe so. But no, as you said, this—we were talking about it previously. The match against Manchester United and then the match away at Chelsea essentially are our season-defining matches— we did not get a win, although we were robbed against Manchester United. We need three points at Chelsea. They did play on Tuesday. They have a lot of injuries, and their form in the Premier League lately has not been that good. It's one win, three draws, and a loss, although they have been playing a lot of the other quote-unquote big six teams or you know traditional yeah, yeah. big six Arsenal, teams. Arsenal, Leicester, Man U, Spurs, and then Bournemouth in their last five. So so, so I think I think that... Although it is uh, Chelsea, right? It's the Chelsea name. We are away. You know how they're going to play. I think that Ancelotti is very tactically adept. I think that we have the personnel to make it work if they have a good match. And so I'm going to have to go with a 2-1 win to Everton and be optimistic. You're going to curse us, Alex. I was one year old the last time. I, I didn't even know what. <laughs> I, I was a decade away from even having heard of Everton Football Club the last time we won at Stamford Bridge or away at Chelsea, and that makes it very hard to be optimistic. But we are here in the uh, beautiful yet extremely rainy city of London. Everyone who listens to the pod regularly knows that I'm a pessimist. I don't, I don't want to predict a win, so I'm not. But I, will, I do think this will be an exciting match. I think there will be a lot of opportunities for us to score. So I'm going to go two all, draw. And frankly, I think I'd take that. I, 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 there's a very good chance that we get beat, but I also, I think it's all to play for. And I think we do have a realistic chance to win, but I just, I just can't predict it because it will come back to bite me. All right. Well, with that, stay tuned for our interview with none other than Graham Stewart. We are here now joined by Graham Stewart. Very glad to have you on, Graham. Thanks for joining us on the American Toffee Podcast. Thank you very much. It's lovely to be here, lads. Yeah, we can just uh, we can hop right into it. We've got some questions for you about your, your time with the club and then maybe uh, get into some of the stuff that you've done uh, since your career ended. 
I guess the first question is, your, your career started at a really interesting time in English football, right around the start of the Premier League when it was being you know, officially formed. Uh, can you talk about maybe some of the differences that you noticed? Were there any immediate changes to your day-to-day -day life as a player, or maybe was it more of a, a long-term kind of slow, gradual change to the league, of course, that we see today? Yeah, I, th I think it was more of a, a gradual change of things. Obviously, the format of the Premier League was um, the brainchild of, of, of a few people that um, decided that they wanted to glamorise the Premier League yeah. or what they, what they used to call the old first division back in those right. days. Um, so I'd made my debut in 1989, so I basically had probably only a year, a year or two right. years right. before the, the Premier League actually kicked off. What the biggest change was, was live television. So, you know, you'd, you'd have a game played on a Sunday. Uh, it was Monday night football as well, and the Monday night football was magical for me. I love Monday night football. Yeah. I mean, most people and most fans want a traditionalist and they want to play football on a Saturday afternoon. But I loved playing under the, the floodlights. So if we were ever on Monday night football, it was perfect for me. But it was brilliant because it took the game to, to everybody's front room and it made it very, very accessible for people. So, and obviously with Sky coming through right. and what have you, it was easy for them as well to build their, their business. So it was, it was an exciting time, it really was. And, and it just took the game to a totally different level. I guess as as you went through your career as a player, were there did it become you became more well known? Were there times when maybe you, you weren't recognized out in public, where you started to be maybe more well recognized? Yeah, I, I think that's pretty much dependent on where you play. Sure. I mean, you if I I mean I compare my early days when I was at Chelsea Football Club. Right. You know, I come from the ranks when I was 14 years old and all the way through to to make my debut, and I was recognized within the London area of Chelsea. But because we have West Ham, Arsenal, Tottenham, you know, there's all those different clubs down in London. It was a little bit more diluted, so you could walk around London a bit freer than perhaps when I found out when I came to Everton. And there's right. two predominant clubs in Everton and Liverpool, and you're more in a goldfish bowl, yeah. and you can't really move. And that was a real shock to me, you know, in some respects. I mean, once you get your head round how passionate the game is on Merseyside. Yeah. You know, it's 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 a it's a different level really, but because you've got such a, a city that's got two big big football clubs in it, it's very very hard to get away from anything football. Whereas, as I say, what London was a little bit more diluted. I'd never suggest that a Chelsea or an Arsenal fan is less passionate than a Liverpool or Everton fan, but it's just that little bit more diluted. Right. So, so you mentioned that you started off at Chelsea and then you came to Everton under Howard Kendall. Yeah. How was the conversation? with Howard Kendall in terms of how he persuaded you to come to Everton? Or was there much persuading? There wasn't a huge amount of persuading, but it was a very interesting conversation, I must admit, because I'd actually been having a bit of a rough time at Chelsea. I'd had probably three, three seasons where I'd been this young up-and-coming kid coming through, and at the time, in those, all those years ago, it's hard to imagine now, believe you me, but I had a little bit of pace about me when I was a kid, <laughs> and I could run, and one of my strengths was dribbling and, and running with the ball, and I scored a few decent goals and you know I was in the limelight a little bit as a youngster at Chelsea so to have Howard Kendall call me was huge because I, as I was a kid growing up at 14 and 15 the great Everton side of the, of the 80s the mid 80s when they were probably at their height you know I was watching that side growing up and that's when I was most influenced by football when you're 13 14 15 growing up and that desire was in me to, to become a Graham Sharp or become a Trevor Stephen. So, you know, f f for the Everton manager to pick up the phone and 
say to me, listen, I'd love to talk to you. It was brilliant. And I'd had a tough time at Chelsea because Glenn Hoddle would come in as a new manager. Initially, I'm not so sure he really fancied me um, as a player. But as time went on, all of a sudden he backtracked and you know, decided that he did want me to stay at Chelsea. But by that time, it had gone a little bit too far. And I'd sort of lost my feeling and I wanted to move on. Um, so I'd actually played in, a, I'd pl probably only played about 20 minutes in a pre-season game for Chelsea. I was feeling a bit down and I, all my friends were, I, I grew up in a place called Wimbledon, yeah. where better known for the tennis. Sure, of course. Um, but I had grown up all my life with all my friends there and I'd just gone up to my local pub and I was having a few drinks with, with the lads and a game of pool and a game of darts and what have you. And the landlord came down and he said to me, Graham, he said, there's a phone call for you upstairs. And I'm thinking, what you phone? no one's ever phoned me here at the Swan, <laughs> the Swan pub in Wimbledon Village. And it was, uh, it was Howard Kendall on the phone. And I thought to myself, who in the world has given Howard Kendall, the manager <laughs> of Everton, my number? And who's told him I'm in the pub? Yeah. Um, but it was my mum. My mum had given the game away and, 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 he, and he called my house and she'd forwarded the number of, of the Swan pub in Wimbledon Village. And Howard, Howard picked up the phone and I went up. So I was nervous as a kid. <laughs> sure. I thought to him, not only because it's Howard Kendall, but I'm, I'm in the pub in having the pub. a drink. <laughs> um, but Howard was a very social guy. And he was he's fantastic, and, and he said to me, are you having a drink, lad? And I said, uh, I said, yeah, just a couple, Mr. Kendall, just to unwind after the game. He said, good lad, good lad. He said, uh, look, I'd love to come and speak to you, or will you come and speak to me? I said, whatever you'd like to do. He said, well, come up to the training ground. He said, we'd love to have you up here and, and speak to you about coming to play for Everton Football Club. I said, Mr. Kendall, I'd love to do that. And he went, mate, great. He said, go on, get back to your night. He said, and by the way, have a few for me. <laughs> and I thought, I love this man already. And the next day I literally travelled up with my agent and we went up there and went to Belfield, the old training ground. We're sat at Finch Farm as we speak, which is the new state-of-the-art training ground, but in those days it was a place called Belfield. And as soon as I met him, um, 20 minutes into it, we decided on a contract. Half an hour later we were in a restaurant eating food. So and it he was telling like it was great. Persuading. No, there wasn't too much persuading. And he, and he said, we sat down and we, all we did was talk about football. He sold Everton Football Club and he, he said to me, he said, I promise you, lad, he said, you will love playing for Everton Football Club. And he so, certainly didn't lie. Yeah, and obviously that reflects in the fact that you were inclined to come back here after your career yeah. ended. But I did want to ask about, I guess, positioning, because you played in a lot of different positions as a player. You played mostly as a striker and a midfielder, but I also understand you played a little bit as a, as a right back. Is that, yeah. is that correct? Yeah, so I guess my, my question is, do you think that players have become more specialized nowadays in the modern game or do you think that maybe the media and fans um, pigeonhole players in a certain way like thinking about something someone like Alex Awobi for example he plays on the left wing sometimes and, and fans will say he's less effective on on the right wing do you think that that's just a product of the way the game's gone now or do you think that that's you know that's just something that that's happened yeah, I, I think there's probably an element of, of, of everything in, in there. You know, predominantly, if you're, if you're, for argument's sake, if you, if you turn around to me and use an example of somebody like Ryan Giggs, yeah. you know, I would always have Ryan Giggs as a left winger in my head, first and foremost, and he was a fantastic player. But he, could, he was also that good that he could have go, gone over and played on the right-hand side and cut in and been effective. He could also play well through the middle. So... I think a lot of players, especially forward or midfield players, have got the capability to play in a lot of different positions. In, in my own personal circumstance, I, I started off as a wide player, wide right player. As a kid, I was a right back. When I was at Chelsea, they moved me into a right wing position. So I, I, start, I made my debut as a right winger. I was bought 
for Everton as a right winger. But I ended up playing centre forward. I ended up playing centre midfield. I played left back once against Thomas Brolin for Goodis uh, Goodison for Everton. So I, I could play in a number of positions and I could play in them quite well. And I played as a centre midfield player and kept midfield players, centre midfield players, recognised centre midfield players out of the team. I played as a centre forward. Right. And, and so I could do it. But when I look back on my career, I, th I, I, I look back and I, th I think to myself, well, if, I, if I'd actually just had one position and I'd said, I'm, I'm going to be a centre forward, could I have progressed better? You know, because there's always that question mark where, with a manager who say, well, I like that Graham Stewart, but where's he play? Is he, is, he a, is he a full back? Is he a midfield player? Or is he a centre forward? I don't really know. I'd, I desperately want a centre forward, but do I want to take a chance on somebody who's played a third of their career as a centre forward or all of their career? So it's, there's swings and roundabouts. There's, you know, you can, you can, you know, you can be picked in a new, you give yourself a better option of starting in the 11 if you can play a number of positions because as, as a manager, it's, it's lovely because you know that you can slot somewhere who's, who might, where you might have a problem. But I, th I think in the long run, I, I, I would have probably preferred to have just settled in one position. You've been in a match against Wimbledon fighting <laughs> relegation, as well as an FA Cup final match against Manchester United. What were the differences in the changing room between those two matches? Just the feeling? or the, you know, the, the attitude, right? You would figure, obviously, you want to win both matches, mm -hmm. and both matches are extremely important in their own right. So, you know, what was the difference in feeling? It's, it's a very good question. I mean, I, I mean the question, you've got two ends of the spectrum. Simple as that. And there was an element of fear against Wimbledon. The fear of, the fear of being the first team to take Everton out of the top flight. You know, that, that was a horrible feeling. I'll never, ever forget the, the fear that was within me the way we had to kind of deal with that and put that behind us and go out and play a game of football. We couldn't have probably picked a worse team to play against because Wimbledon were a notoriously horrible team to play against. Yeah. They were very, very route one back in those days. As a midfield player, you very rarely saw the ball. It was, you know, most of the time it was going over your head from midfield, uh, from the back to the front. So it was a horrible, horrible game to deal with in very, very difficult circumstances that only got worse as we went 2-0 down sure. inside the first 20 minutes. and. I've got to be honest with you, it's the first time I've probably ever thought to myself, I just wish the ground would open up and swallow me, because that was, a, a, the, the silence was deafening, if you kind of get my, you know, sure, it's, it's a stupid statement, I know, but it's, it's true. The silence at Goodison Park when that second goal went in was, mon you know, I, I, I've never, well, I say I've never heard anything, there was nothing to hear, but right. you get my drift. Yeah. Um, and. You know, thankfully, very, very thankfully, we, we got just a little bit of a lifeline just before half-time where Anders Limpar, to me, got scythed down in the box. Uh, to everybody else, uh, fortunately won a penalty for us. And then all, all of a sudden it dawned on me that I'm taking the penalties. <laughs> and then that little bit of fear creeps back in your body again. Um, and I'll never, I'll never forget it, because Neville Southall started walking up with the ball under his arm. And he kept walking and he kept walking. And I think, oh, I, know, I know this man's you know, a bit of a lunatic, as most <laughs> goalkeepers are, but surely you're not going to keep walking and take the penalty. I'm sure he would have, but yeah. I shouted over to him, Nev throws the ball. And I went down there and you just, your mind just goes back to what your coaches and, and, and all the people who have influenced your career, career over the years and say, look, when you, when you take the penalty, hit the target first and foremost. Don't change your mind. 
and then I put that up, so I put the ball on the spot, I step back and I look up and all I can see are kids and gents swinging in the trees because the old park end was being re rebuilt at Goodison Park at the time. So there's buses going past, kids swinging in the trees, workmen with hard hats on behind the goal and it's just like the most surreal feeling ever and you're trying to concentrate to score a pretty important oh, penalty. Yeah. penalty. Fortunately it went in, um, so we're 2-1, we go, we go in at 2-1 which was huge really. A, it's a big difference between being 2-1 down and 2-0 down and Barry Horn goes and scores a sensational goal that he never gets enough credit for in my opinion because it was brilliant uh, and, not, and Barry wouldn't mind me saying this, not the, not the norm for Barry to be yeah. smashing 25 yard half volleys in the top corner um, and the place goes mad, you know Goodison Park erupts all of a sudden like, we can all feel that this isn't now starting to turn our way and then to score the winner in the 81st minute that I think the ball just about touched the back of the net. Um, the best and probably worst goal I've ever scored in my life. I can only, I can only talk, you know, so you, you get to the end of that game and the referee blows a whistle and it's euphoria. And it's the same euphoria as when the referee blows the whistle in the FA Cup final that you've just beaten Man United 1-0 in. But I go to the FA Cup final and there was no fear because we weren't the favourites and we were full of confidence as a side. We'd had a terrific run under Joe Royal and Willie Donaghy as the, as the coach, and we had players who we, we could trust. I'd, I trusted the fella next door to me, and I knew, I knew he'd never let me down. And we'd, we'd you know, seen Tottenham off in the semi-final 4-1 with probably one of the best performances I've ever been involved in as a team. And so we went to Wembley full of confidence. So you've got two total different feelings. Fortunately for me and for Evertonians, they both ended in euphoria. I think that's a really insightful and really interesting, and I think our listeners, you can imagine, right, like, if you're relegation, obviously, things haven't been going your way, you would be inclined to feel a lot more pressure, but um, it's really interesting to hear a first-hand account of that. Um, I guess we can pivot to our last question, we can let you uh, uh, skirt off to Manchester, but um, your, I guess, you chose to come back to Everton and work after your career ended. Can you talk about what made you choose Everton to, to come back to and also like what's been your favorite moment since you've come back uh, as an ex-player as an ambassador and representative these questions are tough <laughs> <laughs> really, honestly. I mean it's not too it, it, I can tell you one thing for certain it wasn't tough to come back first and foremost I, I retired in 2004 and probably within three or four months I was back up on Merseyside um, I had a son uh, who was born up who uh, was actually born in London um, but had spent the majority of his life in, in on Merseyside, so I was always coming back up to be near my boy. I'd never ever be away f away from my lad. Um, plus, there was the pull of Everton and the famous words that Alan Ball said: "Once Everton's touched you, nothing else is ever the same." And he, it, it's the truest statement ever. And we've got three ambassadors at Everton Football Club. One of them's a Scotsman, the other one's a Yorkshireman, and I'm a Londoner. Obviously, you can tell from this, this funny accent that you're going to be listening to. So, but that t tells me everything about Everton Football Club. It doesn't matter whether you're born on Merseyside. Once you've played for Everton, there's something about it. I can't even explain to you. I've, already, I've, I've been asked this question a million and one times. I, just can't, I can't explain what it is about the club. It's just this feeling. It's just this desire. To, if, if you're successful here, it's like nothing you've ever experienced in, ever. I mean, I've, I've, won the champ I've won the first division championship with Charlton and it was great, but it wasn't the same feeling as winning the FA Cup for Everton. You know, it's, it's, it's a really special club full of really special people yeah. who respect each other 
and just I, I, it's hard. Yeah. I, honestly, it's really, really hard for me to put my finger exactly what it is, but it's just Everton. Yeah. Everton. I it's don't just know. Something about it, yeah. It's just something about the place, and uh, people who are around the place know exactly what I'm talking about. People yeah. on the other side of the pond who are listening to this are thinking, what is he rattling on about? Yeah. But I know what I mean, no, and I you don't. guys probably know what I mean, but uh, it's hard to relay it back. But uh, there was no doubt in my mind I wanted to come back up here. And then for Bill Kenwright to phone me up and offer me the opportunity to come back as an ambassador for the club was a hugely proud moment. It took me 0.1 of a second to say yes, of course. Um, I'd been doing a lot of media work before that. I'd done some work with Chelsea TV, so that was great. And I really enjoyed the media side of things, but I couldn't turn the opportunity to, to come back on as a full-time um, as a full-time workman, should we say, for Everton Football Club. I think, uh, I think you're right. Even being across the pond, I think people can sense that there's something really special and it's of course our first time over here and we've gotten to see it firsthand. And it is indescribable in a lot of ways, but I I think, I think that's a very, very good way of putting it. It is, you do feel like a family and, and, and you guys have come over from the States and I, I'd like to think that you've enjoyed yourself and I think we've tried to look after you as best yes. we possibly can. And, we, and we, whether, whether it's you guys or anybody who comes to the football club, we like to treat them in the right way. And we like to give them the Everton experience so that you go away and spread the gospel. As we do. I appreciate that. And you know, obviously we've, you know, we're very much aware that we've, you know, we've got some fantastic supporters out in the States as well. And you know, I'd love to come and see you all yes. at some point. Yes, we'd love to have you over. Uh, Graham Stewart, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure, lads. Thank, thank, you. thank you very much. Thanks for tuning in to the American Toffee Podcast. Come join our Discord community at invite.gg/atp and follow us on Twitter and Facebook at USA Toffee Pod.